how unphotogenic you are until you're seeing that size, and it makes a massive difference. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Sam. Um, I have the privilege of being the children and youth pastor here at Gateway, and we are continuing in our series on Hebrews this morning. So if you are jumping in kind of halfway through, we're in the middle of a, a, few, a few passages where we're looking at how Jesus is the high priest, okay? I do not have time to go into all the details of all the bits of what that means this morning. It's part of a series. So can I just encourage you, if you have not caught the other preachers, particularly Barney's introduction on what a high priest was, go back and listen to that, because it will really help in your understanding of where, where we're going through the series today. Right, I'm going to read this morning from Hebrews chapter 7. Verses 11 to 28, I'd encourage you to open your Bible, get your device out and read along with me. Have it open. Um, as ever, we want to make sure that what we are considering is from the Word of God this morning. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The word of the Lord. So, just so people know where we're going this morning, because that was quite a lot to digest and quite a lot to get into, where we're going this morning is we're going to look at how Jesus guarantees a better hope and a better covenant for us as high priests. Okay, so that's exactly where we're going this morning. We're going to discuss what it looks like for Jesus to guarantee, guarantee a better hope and a better covenant for us because he is the high priest. And I don't know if it's just me, 
but when we talk about a high priest, the language of it is just absolutely alien to me. It feels so distant, it feels really archaic, it feels really old-fashioned, and the meaning of it I just find really hard to engage with. Like, it's, it's lost on me. Like, the idea of having a high priest is completely, I find it really difficult to engage with it as a concept. But the, the thing that the scriptures make perfectly clear, abundantly clear, is that we need a high priest. There is no other option. We need a high priest. If we're going to draw near to God, if we're going to come before the presence of God, we need a high priest. And although the language may seem a bit distant, it may feel a bit old-fashioned, actually some of the functions of what a high priest did or does actually is in the world around us all the time. One of the the key things that the high priest did is, is he interceded he mediated on behalf of the people. Okay, So if you were to go to a member of parliament about a part of law or part of how our country is government, governed, they would be interceding, advocating on our behalf. Same if we committed a crime or we were the victim of a crime, a lawyer would go into the courtroom and would advocate, would intercede on our behalf in order for, to the people in power. Okay, A slightly less serious one, is, you know, if you were young, when you were younger, I don't know if any of you did this, I definitely did, but when you were younger, when you were a kid, if you broke something and you didn't want to suffer the wrath of your parents, you could go to one of your siblings and ask them to go and tell your parents and intercede on your behalf to advocate for mercy for you breaking that thing or spilling a drink on the brand new carpet. And again, another, another s- silly one, I didn't do this, um, is if you were on the playground when you were younger and you, you liked someone, that your friends could go and intercede on your behalf, could advocate for you that you are a worthwhile choice. Um, okay, I'm not sure if anyone did that. Um, if you were like my friends, what my friends would do is go to people I didn't like and would do that, say that, and then I'd have to then deal with the repercussions of that. Um, so that's what my friends are like. But in a more serious way, in the spiritual way, In the Old Testament, in the law given by God to Moses, God set up a system where we needed a high priest. The responsibility, the significance of the high priest was he is the one responsible for interceding, for advocating, for mediating to God on behalf of all of God's people. He was the one responsible for paying the price, making the atonement for the sins of the people so that they could be around the presence of God. And even with those things, even with the sacrifices of animals, even with the high priest atoning, the high priest himself was only allowed to go into the very presence of God in the tent, in the tabernacle, or in the temple once a year after loads of sacrifices for himself and for the people. And if you read into the detail of Exodus, there's these little, I mean, they're slightly amusing, but there's these little details like, Part of the high priest's robe was that he had these pomegranate bells stuck onto the bottom of his robe. And that's so when he went into the most holy place, the priests outside the most holy place knew it was all right if they could hear the bells jangling. And they knew if the bells stopped jangling, it was most likely he was dead because he had sinned in the presence of God. Like The seriousness of the role of the high priest, the importance of it in Israel to the people of God cannot be overestimated. It was by and through the high priest, that the people could draw near to God, and even at a distance could draw near to God. And this is all because of the cost of sin. 
It's the, it's the cost of the way that, that we have rebelled against God. There are things that we have thought, said, and done against God, against people, that has separated us from God. And there is no other way that God has mandated other than for us to approach him through a high priest. Okay? And so in the way set up by Moses, we would call this the Old Covenant, okay, the old agreement between God and between people. But the problem is that the Old Covenant was a really flawed system because it was based on flawed people. It was based upon people who sinned. It was based upon people who had to offer sacrifices for themselves before they could even get to offering sacrifices for the people. Because even though the, the, the sacrifice then and there in the moment paid the price for that sin that you may have committed, you'd leave the temple having not even got into the presence of God because you still couldn't get there because of the weight of sin. You'd leave the temple and then you'd have to go straight back again. There was this distance and this separation from God. And so much so that in verses 18 to 19 of the passage, the way that the writer of Hebrews describes it is weak and useless. That is strong language. But the reason why he says it's like this is weak and useless is because it can't make people perfect. And without perfection, you can't get near God because he is perfect. So without perfection, we can't live with God. We can't get into his presence. We can't be who we have been created to be. We can't live the mandate that he has given us because we cannot be with God. There is that distance and that separation. And so what happens is Israel ends up on this spiritual hamster wheel where they just go round and round just sinning and rebelling and getting rebuked and getting punished and repenting and offering sacrifices. And they're just going round and round and round and round. And they can never get off because the, the old system, the old covenant, the way that, that God is given is saying, look, you can't approach me without this sacrifice, without this blood, without being perfect. It's not making anyone perfect. Because of the issue of sin in the heart of people. But what the author of Hebrews goes on to say, and this is where the better hope and the better covenant, because that sounds like quite bad news, right? The better hope and the better covenant is, is that Jesus, in his nature, as fully God, fully man, and through his work on the cross, has ushered in a new and better covenant. So we don't get onto a spiritual hamster wheel, but rather we get off of it to live life in the presence of God. So how does Jesus do this? Well, Jesus does this by becoming high priest himself. Okay? So Jesus is confirmed of this, not because he's descended from the tribe of Levi, which is where all the priests came from, not because he's descended from Aaron, who's the first high priest. Jesus isn't made a high priest through that. Jesus is made a high priest instead in the likeness or in the order of Melchizedek. Okay? I do not have got any time to go into all the minute details of who Melchizedek might and might not have been. But within scripture, he was a symbol, he was symbolic of the future priestly king. When we hear of Melchizedek in the Bible, what you're supposed to think of is a priest king. So in order for Jesus to be a high priest like Melchizedek, he is to be set apart as a priest king. And there's a couple of ways that Hebrew says, this is how we know this happens. This is how we know Jesus is this type of high priest. There's two things. The first thing is through an indestructible life. That Jesus is God. 
that he always was and he always will be, and that although he was crucified on the cross, he rose again. He has got an indestructible, eternal, everlasting life. That's how we know that Jesus is a high priest like Melchizedek. The other thing that we know is that is how he is a high priest, thank you, is that he, God has promised on oath. Okay, so in this passage that we've just read twice, the author of the Hebrews quotes Psalm 110, verse 4. Okay, Psalm 110, verse 4. And what he says is this. He says that God has promised that Jesus will be a priest forever. And so the Levitical priesthood, the old system, the priests were given the office, but there wasn't a promise that they would remain in it forever. And yet in Psalm 110, David prophesies he says to his lords that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, that God on oath, God has sworn an oath that he will be a priest forever. So God himself has promised a priest for us, a priest forever, a priest who will not die, a priest who will go on and can be a high priest in a different system in a different way. And that God himself has fulfilled that in Jesus, that Jesus is the only one who could fulfill that promise. And so Jesus' role and place is confirmed, guaranteed, and fulfilled by God. So what is the significance of that? So if, if Jesus is that, if Jesus is the high priest, if he is who, who I've just said, what is the significance of that? Well, it's that he's able to continue to be in our high priest because of who he is. Because he can enter the true most holy place. Right, The tabernacle, the temple, all of that stuff was set up to copy heaven. The idea of going into the most holy place is set up to imitate the idea of drawing near to God where he is, which is in heaven. But Jesus goes to the true most holy place, ascends to heaven, and stays there. Because he, as the verse says in verse 21, sorry, verse 26, is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. And it also goes on to say that he is eternal. And in verse 28, that he is the son of God. He cannot be more different from this old system that is flawed, that cannot make us perfect with God. He is completely set apart. But he's not just those things as God, as we've already been looking at in this series, he's also fully man. He's not just God, he is also man, and as such, he becomes our representative to stand before the Father. So I gave all those, those examples of having representatives and people advocating on our behalf. And Jesus, as God and man, is that for us, that he is able to do that. And the reason why he does that is so that we, too, can enter the holy place and draw near to God. That we too can draw near to God. And so much of, of our lives as Christians is, is spent with that language, is spent with that idea of drawing near to God and, and being in his presence and the Holy Spirit beings amongst us. But what the author, as, as the author of the Hebrews writes to these people, for so many of them, this is, bit, this is unimaginable. This is unimaginable. This is a people who in their histories, they read about someone reaching out their hand to stop the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence dwelt, from falling on the floor, like steadying the car, and he literally, to stop it from falling, and he dies. 
that they, their history is covered, is full of these instances of people approaching God wrongly, approaching God in sin, and dying, being cut off, being absolutely blown away by the very presence of God. So the idea of drawing near to God can be almost unimaginable for them. And we see this in instances, right? So when Moses, when the God appears in a pillar of clouds, the people say to Moses, you go, we don't want to die. You go on our behalf. You go, go for it, Moses. You go, represent us. But we are not going anywhere near that because we know that we are sinful. We know that we cannot go into the presence of God. And yet what the author of Hebrews says is that Jesus has brought about a better hope by which we can go into the very presence of God, which is completely different. This is so separate from a covenant where you're separated from God by a whole system of things because of your sin, because of your separation, and even because of who you are and what, where you're descended from. Jesus draws us into a better hope by which we draw near to God. And it says in verse 25 that consequently, this is the way it puts it, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And the word uttermost is, is quite a hard word to translate because it's got lots of different meanings. So one of the meanings of it is completely, and one of the other meanings of it is for all time. And actually, the reality is that it's both. That Jesus is able to save us completely, completely, for all time. That he alone is able to save us completely and for all time. For those who draw near to God, through him we are saved completely. There is no part of our life, no part of our sin, past, present or future. There is nothing that stops us from drawing near to God because there is nothing that Jesus' blood doesn't cover. There's nothing which Jesus hasn't already accomplished for us by which we then can draw near to the presence of God. And so how does he go about doing it? Well, he goes about doing it by constantly, eternally, right now, in this moment, interceding for us in heaven. And this is where I think this lands practically for us in Kent, in Ashford, in 2021. This is where it practically can land for us and can, can reap benefits on our life if we would live to this truth. Because, of, because by his blood, because he is all that I've just said, all that we've been looking at in this series, we can draw near to God, not viewed by our sin, not viewed with shame, not, not coming with guilt, not coming with pain, but that as we come near, as we draw near through Jesus to God, to know God, to know his love, to know his presence, to experience it and encounter and be changed by it, we're also viewed as holy. That some of that stuff, not all of it, but some of that stuff that was said of Jesus is said of us. We are holy. We are unstained. We are separated from sin. And as we were singing, it's not, it's not I, it's not through anything I have done, but through Christ in us. 
through what Christ has done, through us being in him, we're able to approach the throne of God. And we've spoken about in, in lots in, in the lead up to, to these passages and to this, that, that Hebrews was written to a persecuted people, to a people that were, were being tempted to go back to this old covenant. That it was, they were being persecuted for Christ. They were being tempted to go back to this old system, this old way of doing it, because it was easier, because there was less risk, because there was less, they're not going to get killed for that, right? And that's, that's not really, I imagine, where most of us are at. That's not, I, I imagine most of us are not there this morning. However, the appeal, the encouragement that the right author of the Hebrews writes to the Hebrews is true for us too. That rather than returning or turning to other things, the plea is no cling to the better hope, the better hope through which you can draw near to God. So it may be that rather than being tempted to return to Judaism, we may be being tempted to go into a bit of religiosity and going, right, I'm going to tick the Christian boxes. Right, church attendance, on it. Reading my Bible, on it. Praying, on it. Attending small group, on it. Giving certain amounts of money, on it. And ticking these things and going, look God, I'm doing it. I'm really, really doing it. And that, is, that can be a real temptation for us. And I think... You, you tend to lean one way or the other, right? So the way you, t- you tend to lean either towards law or towards license. So you tend to lean either towards, right, I, I want to like, figure out how this works. I want to know exactly what I'm supposed to do. And if I know that if I do these things, I'm okay. And we try and control our lives in such a way that we can get close to God. Or you tend to lean towards license where you go, oh, no, Jesus has set me free and set me apart, which means I can do everything because God has forgiven me. And we're not normally at the extremes of those ends, but on a pendulum swing, we, we lean one or the other ways. And actually, I'm, 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 in, I'm more on the law side of it. I, lo- I like the idea of knowing if I do X, Y, or Z, I'm, I'm good. And so I need to lean more this way towards grace. And actually, it may be that some of us, this isn't where we lean, and maybe some of us lean over here a bit more, and where we lean is more towards license, and actually, we need to go, no, I, there are things that God asks of me. There is a way by which we draw near to God, and it's through following Jesus and what he has said. And it's being aware of those things. But this should lead to an encouragement for us, to assurance and peace and confidence. And the reason for that is because we can know that when we repent of our sin, we're forgiven. Like, do you know that this morning? Do you doubt that when you sin, that even if you repent, that you can be forgiven? Because Jesus right now is interceding on your behalf. Do you know that you can know the love of God now, this morning? Because right now, Jesus is interceding on your behalf in the presence of God. We can confidently and constantly draw near to God without fear of judgment, without fear of what we've done because of Jesus. And as I was, um, as I was praying about, about this this morning, I felt like God gave me, gave me two words. He gave me the word accusation and he gave me the word intercession. 
And I just felt like what God was saying is that there are some people here today, or listening online, who you're getting weighed down by the accusations of the enemy. It may be coming through people, it may be coming through your mind, the battleground of your mind, but you are getting weighed down by the accusations of the enemy. You're not good enough, you're not worth enough, you don't know enough. If people knew what you had done, they'd know you couldn't come to Jesus. You can't, you can't quite get rid of that thing that you know you shouldn't be doing, or you can't quite keep stopping yourself from, from getting involved in things you know you shouldn't do. And these accusations are weighing you down. And I, what I felt like God was saying is that the way that you combat those things is not by trying harder or thinking it will be all right because you're covered by grace. It's through acknowledging this truth that Jesus is interceding for you. So when you hear the lie, the accusation that you're not good enough, it's like, well, but Jesus gave it all for you. And there's not a moment, not a moment where Jesus is not speaking over you. If you are drawing near to God through Jesus, there is not a moment where Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are not in agreement speaking over you. You are mine. You are saved. You are whole. You are holy. You are clean. I have a plan and a purpose that I have got for you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are dearly loved. You are powerful. I've given you that authority. There is not a moment where that is not true for you. So that as, we, as we've read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that we can boldly approach the throne of God. Boldly approach the throne of God with confidence, knowing that we will receive mercy. Because Jesus is alive on the throne right now, interceding on our behalf. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, there is no one like you. Lord, no one else could have been our high priest. Lord, no one else is holy, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, the sinless Son of God. And yet, you came. You came for us. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters now, Lord, I pray we would know that assurance that comes from the knowledge of your presence, the knowledge that you are interceding for us, that there is no sin you have not covered. There is no pain and turmoil you will not walk with us through. Lord, let us know that confidence this morning and let us be dangerous for your kingdom as a result of that confidence. Lord, we pray that the enemy would quake and shake in his boots as we know that we are yours, that there is no accusation he can speak over us that is not completely blown out of the water by the fact that right now you're interceding on our behalf, that your blood speaks a better word, that you have given us a better hope through which we draw near to you. In your name, amen. Thank you, Sam. As we, as we come to a close,